Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, February 24th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the phantom announcements from Mobile World Congress start trickling in. Safari might be getting strict with HTTPS certificates. Apple might release an ARM-based Mac as soon as early 2021. Tons of specs revealed about the Xbox Series X. And FinTech continues to be on a roll. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. So what's probably going to happen this week is we're going to start to get all of the news stories that would have been made at Mobile World Congress had that event not been canceled. We'll start to see those announcements trickle out over the course of the week, like this threefer from Huawei. First of all, Huawei debuted the Mate XS, a foldable smartphone with an 8-inch unfolded screen and a 6.6-inch folded-up display. Also, a Kirin chipset and 8 gigabytes of RAM coming in late 2020 for 2,499 euros. Crucially, the phone has no Play Store access because, again, Huawei is forbidden to use Google services. Huawei also unveiled the Mate Pad Pro 5G, which is a 10.8-inch tablet that is gunning for the iPad Pro because it sports a 7,260 mAh battery, has 5G integrated, and has an optional keyboard and stylus. It's coming in April, starting at €749, but again, it has no Google Play apps. Quoting 9to5Google, Both devices will rely heavily on the Huawei App Gallery, which will be the default app store for everyone globally. This was expected ahead of time, as the U.S. trade ban remains very much in place for the foreseeable future. Both the Huawei Mate XS and MatePad Pro 5G come with EMUI 10 atop Android 10 out of the box. For those wondering, the software is essentially the same as you would expect with a standard Google Play certified device, just without direct or official access to the Google Play Store." End quote. I did get to play around with the earlier version of the Mate X at CES, and they felt really good for the five or so minutes that I sat there folding and unfolding them. All I can say is Huawei makes really, really sexy devices, and if I were going full Android, I'd consider them as my main devices. But, of course, that's not an option. As David Ruddock tweeted, quote, I hate that Huawei has become a sideshow because of the U.S. trade entity ban, but that's the reality of the situation, end quote. One more item from Huawei. I said it was a threefer. The MateBook X Pro. I know, these names get super confusing because they're Mate X this or that, but this is a laptop with Intel's 10th gen CPUs and the same design as last year, basically but basically includes a really impressive 13.9-inch edge-to-edge touchscreen display. The MateBook X Pro is starting at €1,499. It's coming in April, and can anyone tell me how these machines are allowed to run Windows, but the phones can't run Android? Do I even want to know the answer? 
Also an announcement that was probably timed for this week all along, Intel announced three 5G chips, a second-gen AI-focused high-end Xeon scalable CPU, the Atom P5900 for 5G base stations, and an updated ASIC for data centers. Yes, Intel has exited the modem business, that hasn't changed, but that doesn't mean that they can't make silicon to support the transition to 5G overall at least on the carrier and enterprise side. So think of these three chips as optimization for 5G-capable computers and networks. Quoting VentureBeat, The Atom P5900 is, quote, "...build as the first Intel architecture system-on-a-chip for base stations and designed from the ground up for radio access network, or RAN, needs. It's a 10-nanometer chip with hardware-based network acceleration features including integrated packet processing, ultra-low latency, and a switch for inline cryptographic acceleration. It promises up to 1.8 times the integer throughput versus an Atom C3000, plus 5.6 times the packet security throughput and 3.7 times the packet balancing throughput compared with software-based alternatives. The Atom P5900 is designed for use in 5G base stations, and Intel already has customers for the chip, including commitments from network hardware makers Ericsson, Nokia, and ZTE to use it in their RANs. Based on demand, Intel expects it will be the market leader in 5G base station silicon by 2021, ahead of its 2022 goal, with a 40% share of the growing business. With anticipated demand for 6 million 5G base stations by 2024, that could be good news for the company." End quote. Microsoft has revealed a whole slew of new Xbox Series X details, including, and I'm just going to run down the list here, 12 teraflops of GPU performance, which is up two times from what the Xbox One X can do. Also support for 8K gaming, variable rate shading, hardware-accelerated DirectX ray tracing, a custom SSD to go with the custom RDNA 2 and Zen 2 processors, dynamic latency input, HDMI 2.1, auto low latency, and a variable refresh rate with 120 frames per second support. Also, there's something called a quick resume feature, quoting Polygon. The new quick resume feature lets you continue multiple games from a suspended state almost instantly, returning you to where you were and what you were doing without waiting through long loading screens, head of Xbox Phil Spencer wrote on the Xbox website. Spencer also touched on efforts to reduce latency on Xbox Series X for both input and output. Quote, we're optimizing latency in the Player 2 console pipeline, starting with our Xbox wireless controller, which leverages our high-bandwidth proprietary wireless communication protocol when connected with the console, Spencer said. With dynamic latency input, or DLI, a new feature which synchronizes input immediately with what is displayed, controls are even more precise and responsive, end quote. Also, the Series X will play all of your Xbox games, four generations worth of them. Quote, Our commitment to compatibility means existing Xbox One games, including backward-compatible Xbox 360 and original Xbox games, look and play better than ever before, Spencer wrote. Your favorite games, including titles in Xbox Game Pass, benefit from steadier frame rates, faster load times, and improved resolution and visual fidelity all with no developer work required. Your Xbox One gaming accessories also come forward with you, end quote. This is big enough gaming news that it's been at the top of techmeme.com all day, and so I would have done this story regardless. 
But of course, now I'd point you to the Gaming Ride Home podcast where Kyle will no doubt have much more detail on this than I just provided. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Apple analyst Ming-Chi Kuo says, we will finally see that ARM-based Mac that everyone has been anticipating as soon as the first half of 2021. That's when, Quo says, Apple will release a Mac that uses an Apple-designed chip instead of good old Intel. Quoting 9to5Mac, There have been growing reports over the past couple of years about Apple making the switch to a custom-designed ARM processor for its Macs, and today's report gives a concrete time frame for when to expect that launch, which has actually held true since Quo's prediction back in 2018. Since the coronavirus outbreak, Quo highlights that Apple has been, quote, more aggressive with its funding for research, development, and production of 5-nanometer process chips that are expected to show up in the first Macs with ARM CPUs. That's because 5-nanometer chips will be integral to iPhone and iPad later this year, as well as Macs coming in 2021. 5-nanometer process chips shipments are expected to be taken by Apple in mid-2020. In addition to Apple using the 5-nanometer custom chips for its first ARM Macs in 2021, Quo says that the flagship 2020 iPhone lineup 
as well as new mini LED iPads expected in late 2020 to early 2021, will feature the new 5 nanometer process chips, end quote. As I said, this is no doubt inevitable, but one does wonder what sort of fragmentation of the user base this will lead to, at least on the Macs. I mean, there's a whole bunch of professional apps and just professional users who can't afford to jump off the x86 train anytime soon, right? Beginning on September 1st, Apple's Safari browsers will reportedly no longer accept new HTTPS certificates if they've been valid for more than 398 days. Right now, Safari accepts certificates valid for 825 days, quoting the register. That means websites using long-life SSL or TLS certs issued after the cutoff point will throw up privacy errors in Apple's browser. The policy was unveiled by the iGiant at a Certification Authority browser forum, meeting on Wednesday. Specifically, according to those present at the Confab from September 1st, any new website cert valid for more than 398 days will not be trusted by the Safari browser and instead rejected. Older certs issued prior to the deadline, are unaffected by this rule. By implementing the policy in Safari, Apple will, by extension, enforce it on all iOS and macOS devices. This will put pressure on website admins and developers to make sure their certs meet Apple's requirements or risk breaking pages on a billion-plus devices and computers, end quote. As Anime Wolf said on Twitter, the entire personal web hosting world is slowly being eaten alive. As this number keeps dropping, every single site will become dependent on Let's Encrypt. And when Let's Encrypt folds or its certbot gets compromised, dot, 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 end quote. Everybody was reporting over the weekend that Intuit is nearing a deal to buy the personal finance portal Credit Karma for about $7 billion in cash and stock. The word was that the deal could be announced as soon as today, though at the time of this recording, nothing official came across the transom. Quoting the Wall Street Journal, Credit Karma was valued at roughly $4 billion in a private share sale about two years ago. The deal would mark into its largest acquisition by far in its 37-year history and the first sizable transaction under Chief Executive Sasan Ghadarzi, who took over a little more than a year ago. Credit Karma offers its customers free access to their credit scores and borrowing history, alerts to possible data breaches, credit monitoring, and tax preparation and filing. Customers in turn receive offers from other companies for credit cards and loans tailored to their credit history, and Credit Karma makes money when customers use those products. Adding the buzzy startup to its stable would give Intuit a stronger foothold in the burgeoning realm of online personal finance. In addition to TurboTax, the online software that millions of people use to file their taxes, Intuit's offerings include QuickBooks, bookkeeping software used by businesses, and Mint, an online budgeting platform that also pitches individuals' financial products. Intuit has a market value of roughly $77 billion, end quote. Did want to make note of this point from Dan Primack in his pro rata this morning. Quote, the combined company would hold a staggering amount of personal financial information. For consumers, that means much better recommendations and much bigger privacy concerns. Quote, Intuit could try to match all the tax data its TurboTax customers provide with the credit scoring data that Credit Karma holds. That could let Intuit serve up better customer prospects to credit card issuers and eventually let Intuit charge lenders more 
for access to its hoard of data, end quote. Dan was quoting Nathaniel Popper and Michael De La Merced in the New York Times for that last bit. So if that goes through, that would be another big deal in the fintech universe, which has been on fire lately, especially with acquisitions. And yet, according to CB Insights, investments in the fintech space have cooled a bit recently. The research firm reports that fintech startups across the world raised $33.9 billion across 1,912 deals in 2019, but that's down from the $40.8 billion raised across 2,049 deals in 2018, quoting TechCrunch. Early-stage startups struggled to attract money. Per the report, financing for startups looking to close seed or Series A dropped to a five-year low in 2019. On the flip side, money pouring into Series B or beyond startups was at a record five-year high, and emerging and frontier markets were at the center stage of most of the action. South America, Africa, Australia, and Southeast Asia all topped their annual highs last year, end quote. But there were also 24 new fintech unicorns christened last year, including Next Insurance, Flywire, High Radius, Ripple, Figure, Lemonade, Hippo, and Bright Health. Finally, let's end today with an interesting raise. Had you ever heard of homomorphic encryption before I just said it? I had not, but a startup called Enveil does homomorphic encryption and announced it has raised a $10 million Series A led by C5 Capital, MasterCard, and Capital One Ventures. So what do it do, this homomorphic encryption? Quoting VentureBeat, homomorphic encryption isn't new. IBM researcher Craig Gentry developed the first scheme in 2009, but it's gained traction in recent years, coinciding with the advances in compute power and efficiency. It's basically a form of cryptography that enables computation on plain text, i.e. file contents, encrypted using an algorithm, also known as ciphertexts, so that the generated encryption result exactly matches the result of operations that would have been performed on unencrypted text. Using this technique, a cryptonet, e.g. any learned neural network that can be applied to encrypted data, can perform computation on data and return the encrypted result back to the same client, which can then use the encryption key, which was never shared publicly, to decrypt the return data and get the actual result. In practice, homomorphic encryption libraries don't yet fully leverage modern hardware, and they're at least an order of magnitude slower than conventional models. But newer projects like QHE, an accelerated encryption library, claim speedups of 12 to 50 times on various encrypted tasks over previous implementations. Moreover, libraries like PySift and TF Encrypted, which are built on Facebook's PyTorch machine learning framework and TensorFlow, respectively, have made great strides in recent months. So, too, have abstraction layers like HE Transformer, a backend for NGraph, Intel's neural network compiler, that delivers leading performance on some cryptonets. Envale's API-based product, Zero Reveal, sits above sensitive data requiring no changes to the underlying compute environment. It works alongside existing services, complementing data at rest and data in transit encryption technologies, while at the same time delivering a flavor of homomorphic encryption that's led to 13 patent applications to date, end quote. So this sounds like, I guess, greater security 
in the cloud, encrypted data sharing with even the ability to perform operations while encrypted and never fearing that the data you're sharing is compromised, even as you share it. Apparently, the enthusiasm for homomorphic encryption has given rise to a mini-boom of startups estimated to be worth a combined $268.3 million by 2027. That is all for today. Nothing really interesting to share other than a couple weeks ago for my birthday, I treated myself to a Nintendo Switch, finally. And my God, playing video games with your kids, it's exactly as fun as I hoped it would always be. Playing Mario Kart with your kids is almost an argument by itself for having children in the first place, if you ask me. And actually, we're having a ton of fun with Legend of Zelda 2, which I'd never played a Zelda before, but it's great. Talk to you tomorrow.